to see you again. I just love how much of a family uh, we are. <laughs> it's always, it feels like a reunion on Sundays now to catch up. And some of us, because we started in a half hour later, we were here a little early and we got even more space. And I think, I think it's a cool thing to come at 9.30 and hang out for a while. So if you can, man, do it. People are here. Coffee's already ready. Donuts are out. So you're welcome to hang out early. I am, uh, I'm really excited about today because we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I know that there will be nothing new that you hear today, but it will be things that you haven't yet fully stepped into. Uh, none of us have because they're so deep. So today's going to be that way. And so I warn you, I know you're in a theater chair and you've got a cup, a cup holder. And, and this is normally a spot where you relax and kick back and just let it happen in front of you. I'm not as epic as a movie. And so, actually, I just want to invite you to engage and even to interact a little bit this morning. Before we jump into the passage of scriptures that, uh, that we want to look at, I just wanted to remind you of something I remembered this week. So, uh, Stephen, if you want to put up that first slide. I was reading my Bible and, uh, you know, enjoying it and able to flip wherever I wanted. And then, I don't know why, but I just started to think back to the story of how these scriptures come to us the way we are. They are. And so uh, I, I took a look for something. And so what you see there, you probably recognize that's a piece of manuscript. It was found in Egypt around uh, 130 uh, AD or CE, if you prefer. Uh, so, and it's a piece of the Gospel of John that we're in today. It's actually John chapter 14, probably written within 35 to 50 years after John wrote his own copy, uh, which is incredible, Right. By this time, it wasn't a scroll anymore. This is a codex or a book. So this fragment has writing on both sides. Uh, they would have been flipping through it. But that's how old this fragment is. And it just reminded me where the scriptures began. You know, that John, coming near the end of his life, realized Jesus wasn't coming back in his lifetime. And so he had to start recording stuff. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would remind us of all things. And that was especially true for the apostles. So John was able to remember some incredible communications from Jesus, and that's what we're reading today. So that's where it started with, with a codex like that. And there are, you know, 3,800 manuscripts like this, pieces of manuscripts just as evidence for the, the validity of the scriptures. And then the next slide, uh, this is just another huge milestone in where we are today. This is a, a Gutenberg Bible. And so you guys remember your history that uh, Johann Gutenberg created the printing press. It still sounds like a lot of work. I mean, every letter in that Bible was slid into place so that it could be printed, so very, very meticulous. Um, but a lot of work and just absolutely tremendous. And you know that hundreds of people died in this process of bringing the scriptures from the beginning to where they are today. Uh, and then, you know, here we are today. Uh, that's my phone. <laughs> we have the entire scriptures uh, on our phones and could access them anytime, day or night. And I, I was just overwhelmed again by how gracious God has been to us. Even though we are 2,000 years past Jesus' presence on the earth, he's done so many things to kind of compensate for the reality of Jesus on earth uh, happening such a long time ago. And so I just, again, was really filled with gratitude. Uh, like, wow, Father, thank you for the hundreds of people that were a part of the history of the scriptures to make it today to where they're in my pocket all the time, uh, and accessible. And of course, I think it's easy to take them for granted. And so just to remind you, uh, many have worked hard and many have died 
uh, to bring us what we have today. So thank you, Father, for the scriptures as we have them today. So last week, uh, go ahead, next slide there, Stephen, thanks. Uh, This is kind of where we landed. So just to remind you in a couple of minutes, bless you in the name of Jesus. Um, Last week we talked about father and son. And just the two places we landed come out of this scripture here. So Jesus is praying to the Father, but he's doing it publicly so that it could be heard and, and recorded. And he says, I do not ask for these only, my disciples who are with me, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they, those I'm praying for, this is us in the room, they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also, us, may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as loved them even as you have loved me. Why this? Why today? Again, uh, I think it's good for us to remember the most simple, most profound, and most most central ideas of what it means to follow Jesus. And this is it right here. Jesus came, sent by the Father, to show us exactly what the Father is like. A lot of history gave us some ideas, but because of the incompleteness of the Israelites and the rebellion and the struggle of the relationship, the revelation of God got really muddied. And he, he chose to clarify his reputation, who he is and what his purpose is in Jesus. Jesus, the perfect representation. This is what the Father is like. This is what he means by what he says. And then Jesus prays for his 12, and then he prays for the Christians that will come after them throughout history and summarizes the whole goal is that we may be perfectly one and that in our oneness, the world will know that God is good, that Jesus is Lord. And this is our story uh, in a nutshell. And so just to remind us today as we begin the fall and school is back in session and new jobs are starting and some of us are getting sick because that's what we do in September and October, um, this is why we get together on Sunday. Uh, this is why we get together in community, but even more so, this is why we get up every day uh, of our lives is because we have been given a new life and a new purpose. And that purpose is to receive and to give the love of God. So we certainly have the opportunity to have the most amazing experiences in homes of anyone on the planet. Because according to this scripture, you, husband, and you, wife, are one with Father God and Jesus Christ, his son. And so in that oneness, you share his nature, you share his values, you share his power. And granted, we learn this and we we expand this reality as we grow older, but we are all there right now if Jesus is Lord. You are one with Father and Son, and his abilities and his gifts are yours. And if we live in that and we receive that every day, we will have such dynamic relationships and lives together that the world will look at us and go, wow, (laughs) what is up with those people? What is up with those roommates? What is up with that couple? What is up with that family? What is up with that church? We should be living the most delightful lives possible. And I believe that we are. The little tiny bit of you that I've seen so far I love. Being a part of your communities and coming over to dinner at your houses. But the idea is there's more to learn and there's more uh, to be had. 
today we want to talk about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and just remind you that God is not an individual, God is a community. And the beauty and the power of God is not who he is alone as God, but the dynamics of what he experiences between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is, we talked about this last week, that is the beauty of God, is what happens between the persons of the Godhead. Creation was a trio work, and I'm sure it was like an orchestra, and it just flowed tremendously like synchronized swimmers, uh, making the earth what it is and making creation what it is. And Jesus came to give us not individual sanctification, but to, to sanctify and purify a people. And the beauty in us is not the perfect people that we become as individuals, but the amazing things that we share between us. It says, they will know you are my followers by the love, not by the perfection, not by the holiness, not by the goodness of you as a person, but they will know that I am really God because of what happens between you. That's where our hope and our power is. So, John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, implying that you've already been given one, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I want to emphasize a couple of things, and Stephen, those are on that next slide. So Jesus said, I am leaving, and I'm returning to be with my Father, and so I'm going to pray to him, and I'm going to ask him to give you another helper like me. So I have certainly been a helper for you. That's an interesting word to say, Jesus was a helper. (laughs) Wow, if that's what a helper is, that's incredible. Jesus helped humanity understand God the Father, understand love, understand why we're created. And what he's saying is, yes, I'm leaving, but you don't need to experience that loss because I'm asking the Father to give you another helper who will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. This last sentence here and what you're looking at to me is a tremendous historical statement. You know him, the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This has never happened in any generation before the generation that met with Jesus. The Holy Spirit had only been close to people. Uh, He had come close, and he had moved away, and he had helped people, given them gifts and abilities throughout Israel's history. But the Spirit of God had never dwelt inside of a human being until Jesus died. That's historically a first And this, I'm sure, to disciples, if they understood it, and probably they didn't, they would have just been struck with the remarkability that the Holy Spirit had only come alongside humans before, but now was being declared as someone who would live in you. So the Holy Spirit is another helper like Jesus, an advocate. And it's also unique that he says we'll be with you forever. Uh, This is what we talked about last week, that eternal life has already begun for you. The quality of life that you're beginning to live now is an eternal quality, and that quality of life that you have is something that will go on forever. You will always be in relationship with Jesus. You will always have peace accessible to you and the power of God, and that will be with you forever. So in this respect, our eternal life has already begun. 
So we're going to skip down in John 14, down to verse 22. The next slide says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. And what do I want to emphasize here from this next slide is the fact Jesus is saying that the father and I will come to him and make our home in him or her. I, I believe sometimes we perceive the Holy Spirit as a little bit distant from the Father and Son, uh, a unique entity, maybe a messenger, uh, someone who brings things to us or tells things to us. But if we understand what Jesus is saying here correctly, the Holy Spirit is actually the presence of the Father and the Son. Even though he's a distinct person, Jesus is saying, not only is the Spirit going to dwell in you, but my Father and I will dwell in you. Do you catch the distinction of that? That Father, Son, and Spirit are all making their home within you. So somehow they exist together in the Holy Spirit. So when we experience the Holy Spirit, I understand this to be saying we're also experiencing the Father and the Son. And I say that to say, I believe humanly, we do allow ourselves to distinguish too much, sometimes Father, Son, and Spirit. And we can actually have... um, a more proactive relationship and a greater comfort with one or the other of the Godhead. Saying, well, I I really like Jesus, but I don't know about the Spirit. The Spirit seems crazy to me. If we have that idea, we're we're misunderstanding that the Spirit himself is uh, the very same God. He's not not sub-God. He's not an angel. He's not an optional part of God that we can or, or may not want to have. Uh, And, you know, even I think in the Catholic Church, there's such a desire to be comfortable with the God that we love that that's why Mary at times has been elevated to be what they would call the safe redeemer. I was listening to Catholic radio not too long ago, and a gentleman was explaining the belief in Mary as another part of divinity, and she is kind of the motherhood side of Jesus. And the point was that the option was if Jesus is too harsh for you, Mary's a great option because she's a mom. And she's going to be more gentle. She's the gentle redeemer, whereas Jesus is the more severe redeemer. And it's just that humanness that that we are uncomfortable maybe at times with who we think God is. And we certainly don't want to be uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit. He is the same God, Father and Son. So Father and Son live within us. The other aspect here that I want to remind you of is I think often we reach out for the Holy Spirit as if he's in heaven or, or somewhere far and we have to call him in. But I think if you're going to think spatially, you need to think that the the spirit is actually deep inside your own spirit. And if you're looking somewhere for the Holy Spirit to manifest, to be seen, to come, we just sang, come Holy Spirit, that coming is down deep from within you and not from somewhere else. Does that make sense? So what we need is a familiarity, not with a God that is far away, but a God that is actually extremely close. Um, But I think so often we don't give him the space to show up. Uh, And so in our own souls, we're cluttered. Our spirits are busy. We have a lot on our mind and in our hearts. And we don't ask God to come into that space of our consciousness and our heart and our life. And he's always ready to do that, just at an invitation. It's amazing that God is such a gentleman uh, when he doesn't need to be. 
but he leaves it entirely up to our will. So we are free to experience an anxious-filled, fearful, horrible day when, as Christians, we have the opportunity to invite Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to walk us through the same exact day with the same exact circumstances with utter peace and wisdom and clarity and confidence. The choice is yours. We should never feel that we as Christians are the victim of anxiety and fear. That's just not legitimate. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with you. They will be with you forever. They are waiting for you to invite them into those places and to give you peace and to give you confidence and to give you wisdom. And it's all up to your will. That's just how much he respects and trusts you. Going on further in John 14, it says, These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Just a couple of general things that we've already mentioned, that the Holy Spirit is teacher, uh, that he will teach you all things. And so this is where we go. Not first and foremost to preachers or podcasts or books, But when you desire understanding, your first move should always be prayer. Just a sense of, okay, Father, Son, and Spirit are here, wherever I am. Holy Spirit, I would like to understand this. Please teach me. And that that should be square one for learning. And then I think we go to others and we talk about it and we read books and we listen to messages. But uh, that should only secondarily enhance your learning because you have within you the same source as Jesus to discover truth and reality. We just have to stop long enough to listen, to ask, and to say, Holy Spirit, teach me. I see this happen with you guys. I've had some of you come and ask me for for some advice with your, some of the teachers at your schools and some of the parenting that you do, and you guys do this all the time, and I love it. You you start to say the problem, and then the next thing I hear from you is, here's kind of what I've been thinking, and what you've been thinking is brilliant. Uh, You just have zero confidence in it. But you share it, and what I hear from you is the wisdom that was coming into my mind as you were talking. And so I don't actually need to say anything, because your guess is actually uh, the Spirit of God has already spoken to you. But you still need some confidence. You need to be affirmed and trusted. I was meeting with Eric this week, I mean with Derek, and he was talking about fathering his son. And just some of the things he said were just brilliant and beautiful and amazing and clearly wisdom from God. Uh, He didn't see them that way. But I told him, and I hope he does feel that way today, right? Yeah, okay. Yes, the teacher of all things is within us. Let's keep going because I want to get to a couple of things at the end here that are critical. John 15 now, next chapter says, But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. And what I want to emphasize here is that... um, the statement, he, the Spirit, will bear witness of me. Two things here to keep in mind. The Holy Spirit is within you to bear witness for you, first of all. Uh, my first thought when I read this is to bear witness like evangelistically to other people. But honestly, the step one here is that we receive the witness of the Holy Spirit ourselves. So when we are struggling with Scripture, when we are struggling with the circumstances of our lives, and we aren't sure that Jesus is real or that he can be trusted, the Holy Spirit is there to say, yes, you can, and yes, he is. The Holy Spirit bears witness to us first. Uh, So in other words, uh, 
Cognitive truth is not enough to follow Jesus. Demons know cognitive truth. They know who God is, and they know that Jesus is Lord. They are unaffected by that, and they see no reason to follow or obey that. They don't have the witness of the Holy Spirit, but we do, and this is where faith comes from. Faith is receiving the witness of the Holy Spirit to the reality of God. So you hear the words, and you now have the option, do I believe them or do I not believe them? And if we listen to the Spirit, he affirms that these words are true and accurate, and we can receive them, so he bears witness. The other piece of this that I think is is important to understand is he also bears witness to the world. Let's move on to John 16, and I can emphasize this better in this passage. Chapter 16, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the rulers of this world are being judged. Now, honestly, there's a lot there, and I'm not even going to try to explain it to you today. (laughs) The only thing I want you to hear is, and when he comes, he will convict the world. For some reason, we put it on ourselves when we want to obey the call to be witnesses that our responsibility is to change minds and hearts and to convict people. And I want to remind you today that we're not asked to do that. Uh, That's the work of the Holy Spirit. All we are asked to do, honestly, is to tell our own story. And that's as far as we need to go. We should not weigh out the effectiveness of our witness by how people respond. If we do that, Jesus was a terrible evangelist. Because most people responded to his work with a no thank you. I wasn't that polite, <laughs> actually. But they said no. Most people said no to Jesus. And that wasn't a problem for him. And he didn't doubt what he did. And he didn't feel as though he wasn't representing his father well because he was representing him perfectly. The weight and the responsibility of the choices that other people make and the clarity with which they receive the gospel and whether or not they believe, all of that belongs to the Holy Spirit. All that belongs to us is an honest sharing of our story. In order to share your faith, all you need to know is remember, how did I get to where I am? Someone who doesn't know Jesus just needs to get to where you are. They don't need to get anywhere beyond that. And anyone can say how they got to where they are. And that's the only thing that we're asked to do. Can you tell your story? I I can support that with the scripture when you think of the blind man that was healed who had been blind from birth. And uh, he came and told his story to the Pharisees, and then they asked him to tell it again, and he told it again, and then they started to ask him some theological questions, and unfortunately, he stepped into the trap, and he tried to bring conviction, and he tried to wrestle theologically. Well, what does this mean, and what about that, and you were born blind, and then they asked his parents, and the Pharisees created this debate that ultimately went nowhere, and you remember where that story ends? Finally, the blind man who's now healed says, I don't really know all the things I need to know about Jesus. This one thing I know, I used to be blind, and I'm not anymore. 
And there was nothing to say after that. There was no more debate. That was the end of it. And that should inform us to say that really the only thing we have to say is, I know who I was before I met Jesus, and I know I'm very different now, and that's my story. And that's the only obligation we have. The Holy Spirit will do the convicting. And the last scripture we'll look at right now is again in John 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, that is so cute. (laughs) Don't even fix it. Just let him keep saying, "Uh uh-oh. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and will declare it to you. Again, the emphasis here is that the Holy Spirit is not uniquely different and other than Father and Son. So what Jesus was doing in bringing God into real time, giving his disciples a real experience of the voice and the truth of God and the power of God, the Holy Spirit was sent to continue the process. So we should be set free from this idea that there was a unique three years of Jesus' ministry that no human gets to experience again, but that Jesus is saying, the experience that you have had is going to continue forward. The difference is it will happen from an invisible source, not a visible source, so the world will not continue to have the experience they're having. The world will not keep experiencing Jesus. Uh, They got him for three years, and now they have to read about him or watch movies that try to depict him. But the believer should be having an ongoing experience that Jesus is still here, present, fully, and in real time, interacting with us. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is Father and Son with us in this theater, in this moment, talking to us as we talk to each other. The experience goes on. So to bring these together now, this last slide, and it's the last one, I just want to repeat all of these things to you at one time and see them as a holistic picture. The Holy Spirit is another helper like Jesus. Same power, same manifestation, same purpose. With us forever. The Holy Spirit brings both Father and Son to be at home in us. The Spirit teaches us everything. The Spirit is a witness to us and through us to others. The Holy Spirit works in the hearts of people who don't know Jesus, and we don't do that. The Holy Spirit does that. And finally, the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, truth that comes from the Father and belongs to the Son. So again, Father and Son with us. The last thing I want to give you this morning is, is maybe to give you one answer to how do we really receive this reality and experience it each day. And I would remind you that Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you cannot receive the kingdom of God. And I would give you the idea of innocence today. I think that's one of the things Jesus was implying. Unless you become like a child you cannot receive the kingdom of God. So think about how a child approaches authority and approaches 
a guardian or a helper over them. Uh, what are the words that come to mind? I'm legitimately asking you. How, what's that? Yep, that's a really big one. I just trust. I don't have any reason not to. No baggage, no cynicalness. I just, I just trust. How else? What's another characteristic of a child's approach? Yes. Wow, what's that? I've never seen that before. That's kind of cool. I wonder how that works. Yeah, what else? Yes, not hesitation, not standing back, but kind of leaning forward, right? Yeah. Yes, no pretense, no, got to protect my image, no, what are people going to think? Isn't it sad when your children start thinking, what are other people going to think? Ah, that's a bad moment. (laughs) Imagine getting back to there. And I want to suggest to you that that's exactly what Jesus means. And I think we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm grateful for every 24 hours that we go to bed because we're exhausted and we start new every day. It's just kind of that reset button, like I said on a video game, where you just get all your life back when you push that button. Um, and and I, I've been working at starting my days this, this kind of way. Like, Father, today's never happened before. And even though it looks like days I've been in before, it's not. And so I'm curious about what's going to happen today. And God, I trust you today that you will not let me down in any way. So I just approach you with absolute trust. And I'm going to push forward in today because I'm eager to see how this is going to work out and what it's going to be like to walk with you today. With God, we can always trust that way. With people, this is hard to do because we have proof that maybe we shouldn't trust certain people. And they aren't innocent in our eyes. But I believe that Jesus is asking us through the cross to give people who are not going to harm a fresh start every day. I mean, imagine with your best friend or with your spouse, giving them the benefit of the doubt each day and saying, you know, Tricia, today you're innocent. I forget everything that you did before today that offended me or hurt me. You're innocent today. It's like those things never happened. And our relationship is innocent, and we're going to start over. And I'm going to trust you with trust and with curiosity and with eagerness and with innocence and no pretense. Doesn't that kind of ring good? I mean, do you imagine starting a day that way? It just, to me, it feels right. Like, what if we did that? What if I started that day again? And again, I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit we can do this. I believe the Holy Spirit is the way that we can have the power to forgive so fully that I can start a day over with someone I love deeply who's hurt me uh, with no scars and with no pretense and with no fear but with complete trust. Uh, but certainly, setting aside other people with God, we should be able to begin every day and every week and every month in this kind of innocence and trust full of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you. And uh, as we go into worship, I would just ask you to, whatever thoughts are in your head right now, whatever you're thinking about, whatever the Holy Spirit is telling you, keep going with that. And just ask God um, to keep teaching you while we worship. Father, Thank you so much for what you've done. And and we just don't even fully get it. God, every time we open your word, it's living and active, and there's just more. And I just thank you for the more that's in these these verses today uh, that we still have yet to receive. And, And I ask you now, God, we just open our hands and our hearts to you. 
And we pray that you would really push down deep into our souls, whatever today that your spirit has spoken that's fresh for us and that we have yet to step into. And Father, most of all, I ask you just as a, as a pastor of Colossae Sherwood that you would make this congregation and this church freshly filled with your Holy Spirit, that we together as a people would receive more of you and comprehend more fully how deeply present you are with us and that you are a God with us in real time and that you are a God who speaks in the moment, who gives wisdom and peace and grace in the moment because of the spirit that lives in us. Father, we want to receive this. It sounds so good and it's not too good to be true. You declared it to be true, so we receive it and we ask you, show us the way to walk in it in Jesus' name. Amen.